0: The scripture lesson for today comes from the gospel according to John in the 15th chapter. This is a continuation of the scripture I preached a couple of weeks ago where we heard about Jesus, the true vine. And we pick up on that same story in verse 9. Hear the word of God. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you Whatever you ask him in my name, I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, startle us with your truth, your hope, and your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're going to start with a short video. Ellen, can you go ahead and... During the year 1957, I experienced by the grace of God, a spiritual awakening, which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. At this time, I would like to tell you that no matter what, it is with God. God is gracious and merciful. God's way is in love through which we all are. It is truly a love supreme. Those words come from the liner notes to an album called A Love Supreme. It's one of the most important jazz albums of all time. It was performed by John Coltrane in 1964. Coltrane had struggled most of his professional life with addiction to alcohol and heroin. In the 1950s, he was one of the most acclaimed saxophone players in the world. But he was given to great performances as well as great disappointments due to his addiction. In 1957, he was fired by Miles Davis and it was at that time that he really hit bottom. It was the beginning of the road that led him seven years later to record A Love Supreme his greatest work, and to dedicate it to the peace that he had found in God. Love, love, love. It is a popular idea in sermons, and it is certainly the core message in today's reading from John 15. This is my commandment, says Jesus, love one another just as I have loved you. It has been my experience and perhaps yours that love is sometimes dealt with in church in ways that are simple. Love is all you need. Love is the answer. I believe those things to be true and yet it has been my experience and I wonder if you share it that love is more complicated than that. As John Coltrane said of his own experience, in our path toward love, There's often a period of irresolution that prevails. We have experiences that are contradictory to love and that lead us away from the esteemed path. Those are his words. I suspect that we need to be honest about the complexities of love. If any of the rest of us are ever to find our way to a love supreme. Love is a complicated idea. It's complicated in the Bible. Here are some examples. Love is unconditional. You've heard that in church before, right? That's a part of our tradition. And yet in this passage that I read today from John 15, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. That certainly sounds conditional. So which one is it? Jesus says, love one another in this passage. And he also says, no one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. No one has greater love than that. And yet elsewhere in Matthew 5, he says to people, love your enemies. For if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? So, is the greatest love really for our enemies or our friends? Which one is it? Our faith is grounded in the love of a Savior who loves sacrificially to the point of death on a cross. That is how Christ saves us. It is a complicated message. The world needs more selfless love, more sacrificial love, more love given for the sake of another. And yet, emulating Christ's sacrificial love can be a dangerous message. Imagine what a message of sacrificial love sounds like to someone who is stuck in an abusive relationship. Is this the message the church wishes to send? Sacrificial love, good or bad, which one is it? Here's a longer example that helps to unpack some of these shorter ones. There's a popular idea in Christian sermons about love, and it's to talk about words that are translated into English from the Greek as love. There are more words for love in Greek than in English. There are at least three Greek words that we translate as love, Eros is one of them. Eros is the love of romantic or lustful desire. Philia is another one of the Greek words. It is the love that we see exhibited in friendship. Agape is a third kind of love. It is unconditional, self-giving love. This is the love of God, we are told. Plenty of good sermons explore the differences between these terms in order to highlight the distinctiveness of God's love for us. It's my hunch that too simple an approach to these words can easily leave a lot of matters unresolved. Consider this. Preachers talk about those three terms and cite the limits and the problems with eros and philia compared to agape, the love of God. The love of God, agape, as this line of thinking goes, is unconditional. And this is the love that you really want. But is this all you want? If so, why in the passage of about love that we read today, does Jesus say to his disciples that he now considers them for? friends. What's the value he's assigning there? Should we want from Jesus from God the immediacy of friendship to be a part of our relationship with God? And as for desire, the other kind of love that the church often belittles, does it always need to be portrayed as a bad thing? Is desire always wrong? Many of us expend a tremendous amount of energy in our lives hoping to be desirable to people we love. Or if you'd like another word, we spend a lot of energy hoping to be wanted or appreciated by people we love. We want for our spouses and our children and our parents and our friends to be proud of us. We want them to think kindly toward us, We want them to be thankful and appreciative for the things that we do. Imagine for a moment if those people in your life, if they only loved you unconditionally. Imagine that your efforts to love them made no particular difference to them. Wouldn't that be disappointing? And think about the places in scripture, the many places where it seems to be God's desire that people respond to God's love by showing love to others. God has a desire, a yearning, a hope to see us respond to the love of God. So yes, I believe that it is a good thing that God's love is unconditional, that we never need to earn it. But I wonder if there is a usefulness to redeeming these ideas of desire and of friendship when we talk about the love of God. It's hard to know how to make sense of all of these complicated ideas about the love of God in the Bible. But one thing is sure, love is not a simple idea. Love is not the same in all circumstances. Love changes and evolves in different times in our lives, just like its meaning seems to evolve on the pages of Scripture. And this is why I started with the story about John Coltrane. This is why I started with jazz. Something common to many types of music, but of central importance in jazz is improvisation. Improvisation, if you're not musically inclined, improvisation is not just fooling around. Improvisation is much more complicated than that. In order to improvise and to be good at it, you have to know the rules of music. You have to know them well. You have to understand the principles of musical composition and performance before you can improvise upon them. There is a great example of how this works in A Love Supreme. Like many compositions, there is a musical theme that Coltrane presents at the beginning of the, of the piece. And that, that musical theme re-emerges over and over again throughout the piece of music. Toward the end of the first movement, Coltrane starts playing that theme. He plays it over and over. And then... While the rest of his quartet stays in the key in which the piece is written, Coltrane uh, improvises. And while they play it in the original key, Coltrane plays the theme in every other key. He plays it in all 12 keys and then comes back around and resolves into the original key. When he gets back to that original key, he starts to chant along with the music. He starts to chant, and the other members of the quartet join in, and they chant along with him. A love supreme, a love supreme, a love supreme, a love supreme. One One of the music critics I listened to this week said this. It's like John Coltrane is playing that improvisation and inviting others into the chant because the love supreme is not his alone. It is meant to be heard in every key and sung by every voice. Anywhere you look, you're going to find this love supreme. the foundation for John Coltrane's life, the foundation that he has found in God, grace, the chance to start over again, to rebuild one's life, to experience the love supreme, to share it with others. This is for everyone. He says it in music. And when you consider both the musical complexity of what he is doing there and the gritty journey he had been on in his fight with addiction, you see it so clearly, a love supreme is not a simple thing. It is found only by practice, by first understanding the rules and then by learning to improvise upon them. You have to figure out what love means in your life and in your relationships, but that only works if you remember the rules, if you remember the love supreme. I studied this scripture this past Tuesday when I met with the church's new men's Bible study group. They helped me to come up with the examples I used at the beginning of this sermon. The Bible's complex portrayal of love. In that group, we talked about the complexity of love in our own lives, the challenge of love with a spouse, especially in the midst of the stresses of COVID, the challenge of loving a child when they are disobedient or ungrateful or sullen, the challenge of loving an old friend or a family member who always seems to be getting in trouble. Love isn't easy. Love requires flexibility and improvisation, but it also seems to rely on some rules. And we insist upon and even cling to those rules, especially in times when love is the hardest. That love supreme That unifying principle, it brings us back to the first half of this passage from John, the verses that I preached on two weeks ago. In those verses, Jesus calls himself the vine, and he calls us the branches. We are to find our foundation in the vine, the love supreme, the love of God. It grounds us, it holds us, it gives us strength. This love supreme is the love that you read about in 1 Corinthians 13, that passage that many of us have heard so many times before. The love supreme is patient and kind. It is not self-seeking or envious or boastful. It keeps no record of wrongs. It rejoices in the truth. It never ends. Most of us have attended enough weddings to think that these words are what Paul says about how spouses should treat one another, but they're not. Paul didn't say these words at a wedding. These are the characteristics of God's love. This is how the true vine behaves. And we are the branches who are to grow from that vine it is a vine that recognizes all of the complex complex nature of love and it thrives within that complexity if we keep ourselves attached to the vine and we also need to remember about that analogy that we are the branches all of us we are the branches and we are meant to exist close together as part of that common vine. We're part of a faith community so that we can share together our complicated stories and that with one another, we can lament when things are difficult and we can encourage one another toward more healthy growth. That's what the church is for. So when it comes to the endlessly complicated subject of love, when it comes to the endlessly complex task of loving one another as God has loved us, when it comes to the endlessly mysterious task of learning to accept the love that God has for us, we are told this, to connect ourselves to the vine that is Jesus Christ and to learn from him. We are told to learn how to love from that vine. We are told to remember our connectedness to one another and to pray together and to seek one another's help in community as we learn how to love. And we are told to be patient. To be patient if we don't fully learn this love overnight. For as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, love is never ends. But you may give thanks today, because while love never ends, sermons do. Amen.